0: Peace be upon you. So every three years uh, across the world in 79 countries, students take what's known as the PISA test. And this is the program for international student assessment. And uh, it's targeted towards kids who are 15 years old. And it just happened that I was at a district meeting at my daughter's school when they were reviewing these uh, scores. I went in for other matters and I was just listening in. And what I saw was that the school district we're in, there's about 40,000 students, uh, and it crosses about 42 different schools. And within these schools, it ranges everything from uh, TK all the way up through high school. And they were reviewing the scores from 2018. And uh, what was interesting was the only item that they were looking at, and this was a 40 minute presentation, was how the lowest level students are doing, and there was no interest whatsoever regarding how the other ethnic groups were doing, how the other categories were doing, and it was only this one group that they were focused on, and the question was that they were uh, uh, addressing was how to bring this uh, group up, and I asked them, I said, you know, what about the other students, what about the other ethnicities, what about the other uh, uh, kind of uh, categories, and they said, well, the results are online, we're not interested in that. And this actually touched on the very reason I was at that district meeting. The reason I was at that district meeting was I noticed that in my daughter's school, they were removing all the extracurricular activities. And I was wondering why, what was the motivation for this? And uh, I talked to the uh, head of the school board. I talked to the uh, superintendent. And the response back was that these kids, in essence, are hurting their objective as a district. And I was really taken back by that. And the way that it was explained to me was that their objective of the district is to get everyone to average so when you have students who are excelling they actually see this as a problem to their own quota and their only objective in the district is to bring the bottom tier of students uh, from below expectations to average and All their funding, all their programs in essence is to bring that bottom tier up, but at the same time, as ironic as it sounds, to hold back the students who are excelling within their grade. And this is what they call equity. Equity is the belief that everyone, irrespective of where they start, should all have the same outcome. And this is the opposite of equality. Equality means that everyone has the same opportunity but the outcomes are gonna vary between the individuals. And I was really taken back by this, the level of um, brazenness on the district's part, that they were literally just removing uh, programs that were uh, targeted towards extracurricular and they didn't stop there. So the, the uh, students, they have something it's called uh, Lexia and it's a uh, language arts kind of a program. And a lot of the kids in the class, uh, exceeded basically their grade level and they were working on Lexia for the next grade level. And the district again, because they saw this as a uh, uh, a, a ding against equity uh, that some kids were performing so much better than other students, uh, what they did is they uh, when the school year started, they brought every student who was excelling back down to the level of where they wanted them to be. And it's not just the fact that they had to be brought down. This is literally hundreds of hours of work that these students did to excel uh, is being regressed. And what happens to a student who is being, in essence, uh, demotivated for the hard work and effort they're putting in? And we had the superintendent, actually the assistant superintendent come in, and we confronted her about these matters, like why is it that these programs are getting pulled out? Uh, Why is it that they're not replacing it with anything? And the response back she gave, she said, look, I want to be able to take any student from any class within the district and transport them to another uh, class with a completely different uh, classroom, completely different teacher. And as if nothing changes. And this was very infuriating, not just for the parents, but for the teachers themselves. The teachers enjoyed, in essence, addressing the curriculum based on the requirement for their class. So if you have a class that's underperforming, let's say they're, they're younger in age or they're coming from uh, backgrounds where English is a second language, they want to be able to adjust the curriculum accordingly to help out their specific students. And similarly, if you have a class that's excelling, that they come in on the older side of the, uh, the age spectrum, uh, they come in with more affluent backgrounds, so they have more uh, kind of like know-how, that they want to be able to accommodate and challenge those students uh, just as well. But what the district wanted was they wanted none of that they wanted every classroom every teacher every curriculum to be a cookie cutter of one another because for their objectives again their objective is equity equality of outcome and not equality of opportunity now to put this into perspective the difference between equity and equality because these words have shifted uh, throughout the years but how it's used so If you join a startup for instance, usually they will give you an option between getting more compensation in base pay or getting more equity. And the individuals who opt in for more base pay, they have the security of knowing that irrespective of how the company performs, they will be able to take that money and go and use it however they like. But the individuals who forsake compensation in the form of increased pay and opt-in for equity, their hope is that as the company grows and becomes successful, God willing, they can share in that outcome. And this is the difference between equity and equality. In an equality framework, you get paid irrespective how the company performs. In an equity perspective, your compensation is going to be directly linked with the performance of their overall company i worked at a number of startups i had my own startup and what you realize is there is a difference in mentality from individuals some individuals they prefer to have higher compensation and they're not as concerned about equity they prefer to have the money in their pocket than the potential of upside then you have other individuals who come in with the expectation of having as much equity as possible. So if the company ends up becoming highly successful, they can have a big payout. And it's up to the individual which they choose. We used to have a joke and we said, you know, the salespeople, these were individuals who were compensation-based. We called them coin-operated. And I was in sales for a while. And the expectation was they wanted to be able to maximize how much money they made, irrespective how the company overall performed. Now you compare this to a founder. A founder is very equity driven. They are not compensation driven. Their hope is to grow the success of that company so that they can share in the outcome of the valuation of the company as it grows. You look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg, you know, his compensation is a dollar in compensation uh, for his paycheck, but all his value is in the equity of Facebook and its uh, derivative companies. And this is the difference between equity and equality. Equality is interested in having a fair playing field where we're all getting paid for what it is we do at that moment. Equity on the other hand is the expectation of being able to share in the outcome if we're all successful. Now the question is, how should a society be driven? Should a society be driven through equity where every citizen within that society has the uh, shares in the overall benefit of the society or should the society be directed towards equality where everyone in essence can choose how much effort they want to put in and be able to reap the direct benefits of their efforts irrespective, irrespective to a certain degree how the overall society uh, progresses. If you were to put these two on a spectrum, on one side you would have something like communism where everyone is independently working for the greater good of society with the hope that if the entire society is successful, they will be successful. Ironically, we've seen this time and time again where when they go into this model, it utterly fails. It's because it's hard to manage uh, people all putting in their own weight uh, based on their means when they know that they're not gonna be able to reap the direct benefits of their efforts. On the other side of the spectrum, you have capitalism. Capitalism is where each individual is gonna work for their own independent means and be compensated accordingly based on the customers they serve. Capitalism is based on mutually acceptable transactions. Now the question is which society does God advocate in the Quran? Is it a communist or let's say a socialist society? where, in essence, everyone has equity in the outcome of the society, but people don't have, in essence, equality, where, depending on how hard they work or how much value they provide to society, to be compensated proportionally to their efforts. Or does God advocate a capitalistic society where each individual can choose what it is they value, what it is they want to spend their lives doing, and be compensated according to that, Based on the customer success that they have. Now, God's system is based on maximum freedom for the people. Where each individual can choose what it is they value, what it is they want to spend their time doing. And this is part of God's system. God allows people to choose to believe, can choose to disbelieve. God allows people to choose to be lazy or choose to be hardworking. To force anyone into a situation to go against their will is completely against the Quran. God uses the terms that he hates aggressors. He hates individuals who are oppressors, that oppression is worse than murder. When two people transact, in order for that transaction to happen, there has to be a disagreement on the value in order to agree on a price. Meaning if I want to sell you a bag of oranges, and you're willing to pay me $5, that means that I value the $5 more than the bag of oranges, while you value the bag of oranges more than the $5. If the objective was purely equality of outcome, we would not be able to do this transaction because the second we executed this transaction, despite the fact of us both being more satisfied, the only way it could be executed is by me giving up the oranges and you giving up the $5. And now we would have different outcomes. And this is what happens in a free society is that we each pick and choose what it is we value. And based on that, we live our lives. So for instance, someone who values uh, money and uh, uh, material possessions might choose to work harder than someone who values these things less. Now here's the other uh, kicker. In a capitalistic society, you can still choose to opt in to a socialist construct. But you cannot choose to opt in to a capitalist construct in a socialist society, because in a socialist society, your transactions, your economic freedom is limited by the state. And you see this uh, transpire. You have companies that form cohorts where individuals are all stakeholders into the company, or you have, for instance, kibbutz in Israel, where individuals join to form a commune and share their wealth in a socialist construct, in a capitalistic society. And this is the beauty of capitalism, is that it provides more freedom of choice for the people. That if someone wants to live a socialist lifestyle, they can under a capitalistic uh, society, but not the other way around. And God's system optimizes for the freedom of people as long as they are not infringing on the liberties of others. Years ago, there was a study that profiled homeless people. And what the study found out was there was a big chunk of the homeless population that they called seasonal homeless. And these were individuals who they claimed were homeless by choice, meaning that, yeah, obviously they want to have a a place to live. They want to have uh, the amenities that comes with a stable life. But they enjoyed the freedom that homelessness gave them, the uh, obligations they didn't have to commit to uh, by being homeless. And despite the fact of opportunities to get out of homelessness being available, they chose not to exercise them. And this is a life choice that they made. Now, if I believe that this is a wasteful way to live one's life, and I force these people to get their act together, uh, to uh, uh, stop consuming intoxicants and drugs and alcohol, and uh, to, to get a job, to be responsible, I'd be oppressing them. I would be imposing my values upon them. And these aren't the values that they were upholding. They enjoyed the aspect of having that freedom, and they were willing to sacrifice for it and forego having a roof over their head or knowing for sure where they're going to get the next meal if this allowed them to be free in the the path that they chose. And as part of God's system, each individual should be free to choose whichever path they want to pursue. That if they choose to spend their life working diligently to make money, uh, to to abandon their families and other responsibilities for the sake of becoming more wealthy, that is their life choice. If someone on the other hand says, look, I don't want to work, I want to spend more time with family, and that becomes their life choice. Or someone else who wants to commit their time to charitable deeds, that becomes their life choice. Each individual chooses the path that they want to pursue, and their outcomes is going to be different. And this is part of God's system. God tells us that this world, the purpose of this world is to distinguish those who believe from those who disbelieve, those who spend their time wisely on this planet from those who don't. And the outcomes are going to be vastly different. Some people are going to end up in the highest ranks of heaven, while others are going to end up in the lowest pit of hell. This shows that God's system is not about equality of outcome. It's about equality of opportunity. To each individual God has given them, what they need in order to be successful or not. And it's up to them if they choose to exercise it or choose not to. And again, they have no one to blame but themselves. In Surah 17, verse 18 through 21, we read, Anyone who chooses this fleeting life as his priority, we will rush to him what we decide to give him. Then we commit him to Jahannam, where he suffers forever, despised and defeated, As for those who choose the hereafter as their priority and work righteousness while believing, their efforts will be appreciated. For each one of them we provide. We provide for those and these from your Lord's bounties. Your Lord's bounties are inexhaustible. Note how we preferred some people above others in this life. The differences in the hereafter are far greater and far more significant. Governments and societies that think that they can mandate equality of outcome, are going against the very nature of this world. God has designed a system where there's going to be people that are going to have more and some are going to have less. And this is part of God's system to show what is it that we prioritize. When a government is trying to mandate that everyone is going to have the same outcome irrespective of values, irrespective of effort, then they're only trying to go against the very system Of the fabric of this universe in surah 43 verse 32 it reads are they the ones who assign your Lord's mercy we have assigned their shares in this life raising some of them above others in ranks in order to let them serve one another the mercy from your Lord is far better than any material they may hoard this is part of God's system that there's gonna be individuals with more and some individuals with less And each person is going to be tested, commensurate with the situation that they're in. Take the example of Joseph. Joseph was a boy sold into slavery, sent into prison, and then later made into the treasure of all of Egypt. He was at the bottom of the totem pole in society and at the top. And he was tested thoroughly through each of these situations. And this is how God's system operates. That we are going to be tested with wealth and the lack thereof. We're going to be tested with blessings and the lack thereof. And the question is, how do we respond to these situations? Again, governments that are trying to institute the equality for everyone in outcome are trying to go against this very nature of how God designed this world to operate. God is telling us that in the hereafter, we are each going to be ranked commensurate to our deeds, that those who do good deeds are going to be thoroughly rewarded. And those who are doing evil works are going to suffer the consequences because of it. And this is the system that God has instituted. That we all have equal opportunity to grow and develop our souls. But the effort and work we put in is going to dictate the outcome. Throughout the Quran, God advocates for equality. Meaning that everyone under the eyes of the law is treated equally. If we apply the law differently towards the rich versus the poor, or vice versa, then it's showing that we are not acting justly. In Surah 5, verse 8, it reads, O you who believe, you shall be absolutely equitable, and observe God. When you serve as witnesses, do not be provoked by your conflicts with some people into committing injustice. You shall be absolutely equitable, for it is more righteous you shall observe God. God is fully cognizant of everything you do. In a system like a public school system, each family is contributing to that the, the funding of that school. Now, if the school is only going to accommodate and address the needs of a certain portion of the students at the expense of the other ones, then they're not being equitable. They are not being just. Now, does this mean that you allow the students who are worse off to suffer? And this goes to the second point of the Quranic system. Via a Quranic system, the individuals of that community themselves should opt in to help those who are in need. This should not be done by force from the top down, by the government, by the administrators. This should be bottom up by the individuals themselves. Now, what's ironic is the school district is actually against this model because it undermines their control and authority. And I'll give you an example. In the school that my daughter is in, a lot of the parents, including myself, uh, prior to COVID, we would volunteer. And I was trying to bring this to other schools to have more of an advocacy, to get the parents to volunteer in the schools because there is a direct correlation with parent participation in the school and the performance of that school. But you know who was the the advocate against this? It was the district. The district did not want the parents to uh, volunteer because they said it's unfair to the schools that don't have parents volunteering. So rather than saying, hey, how can we get parents to volunteer at these schools that require more help? Their solution was to ban volunteering from parents at the schools that were excelling. See, the Quranic system is that the individuals of that society, have strong moral fabric where they choose and willingly want to help one another, want to help their neighbor, want to help their community. And what happens is the communities become less God-fearing, less God-conscious. Then the charity and volunteering diminishes. And what ends up happening is in this vacuum, people expect the government to fill this gap. And this is what leads a society towards socialism. When the individuals themselves in that society forsake this God-given opportunity to help out one another, then the individuals expect that the government is the one who's going to provide for the people, that the government is the one who provides safeguards for individuals, that the government is the one who funds all these programs to help individuals. Now, the sad thing is that when It's a government that is doing these jobs. They are always going to be less efficient than an individual. A government that has to provide for charity is going to be less efficient than the individual who knows someone in need and can help them in that matter to get out of their dire situation. We see this in the example of David. When the two brothers came to him and asked for his judgment regarding how to handle the dispute the two brothers had, where the brother with 99 sheep wanted to consume the one sheep his brother had in order to combine their properties. And David renders his judgment. He said, he's being unfair to you by asking to combine your properties with his. Most people who combine their properties treat each other unfairly, except those who believe in work righteousness, and these are so few. So David is rendering a correct judgment here. He's identifying that most people, when they combine their properties, treat each other unfairly. And this is what we see when the government taxes individuals for their own good. That yes, some good comes out of this, but more often than not, the money is used inefficiently. But God corrects this judgment. It reads, Afterwards, David wondered if he made the right judgment. He thought that we were testing him. He then implored his Lord for forgiveness, bowed down and repented. We forgave him in this matter. We have granted him a position of honor with us and a beautiful abode. That despite all the care that David put into this judgment and despite the fact that his judgment was correct, there was a trace of doubt that maybe he was hasty in applying his own personal opinion And it continues in 38.26, it reads, O David, we have made you a ruler on earth. Therefore, you shall judge among the people equitably, and do not follow your personal opinion, lest it diverts you from the way of God. Surely those who stray off the way of God incur severe retribution for forgetting the day of reckoning. Some individuals read this verse and assume that God forgiving David is inferring that David's judgment was wrong. But David's judgment wasn't wrong. It's just the fact of the level of caution that David made in rendering a judgment. If we read Surah 4 verse 29, it reads, O you who believe, do not consume each other's properties illicitly. Only mutually acceptable transactions are permitted. In this verse, God is informing us that if, for whatever reason... The brother who had one sheep opted not to go through with this transaction. He had every right not to pursue it, irrespective if the brother with 99 sheep had the best of intentions, because it would not be mutually acceptable. And this goes back to the idea that in a Quranic system, people should opt in on their own to give to those who are in need, to be charitable, to do righteous works, and not to be forced into these situations. Because God's system is designed around the circulation of wealth, again, by choice. When governments are instilling their values onto the masses against their will, in limiting their choice from choosing the path that they want without infringing on the liberties of others, they're conducting one of the worst forms of tyranny and oppression. Twice in the Quran, God informs us that oppression is worse than murder. A society that is pushing the equality of outcome at the expense of equality of opportunity is conducting one of the worst forms of tyranny and oppression. Twice in the Quran, God informs us that oppression is worse than murder. And the worst kind of oppression is when people claim they're doing it for the well-being Of the individuals they're oppressing. C.S. Lewis in an essay wrote, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. This very kindness stings with intolerable insult to be cured against one's will and cured for states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on a level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason, or those who never will, to be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is that when individuals are doing oppression through a clear conscience because they believe it's for the moral good, these are the worst forms of tyranny. Because while they're doing the oppression, They expect thanks in return. And this is the example of what we see from Pharaoh when Moses went and confronted him. In Surah 26, verse 16, it reads, God is telling, go to Pharaoh and say, we are messengers from the Lord of the universe. Let the children of Israel go. He, Pharaoh, said, did we not raise you from infancy and you spent many years with us? Then you committed the crime that you committed and you were ungrateful he Moses said indeed I did it when I was astray then I fled when I feared you and my Lord endowed me with wisdom and made me one of the messengers you are boasting that you did me a favor while enslaving the children of Israel and this is the trait of Pharaoh where he was oppressive and causing tyranny upon his people but he maintained the attitude that he was doing them good, that he was benefiting them. And again, this is the worst form of tyranny. Individuals who think they know better than the masses and impose their values on the masses are ending up oppressing the masses. We have to give people equality of opportunity and let them choose their own outcomes. And again, this does not mean leaving people out to dry. God consistently in the Qur'an advocates for helping those in need, those who are poor, those who are despondent, those who are handicapped, those who are blind, those who are orphans. God is telling the individuals of that society to take the onerous on themselves, to not pass this responsibility, to outsource their righteousness, to outsource their charities to the strong arm of the government. A society that disenfranchises Those who've earned their living to give to those who have less is committing just as much of an injustice as stealing from those who have less to give to those who have more. Both are wrong in the eyes of God. We have to be 100% equitable in our dealings. But how we handle this situation is through advocacy, to enlighten people, to encourage people, to be charitable, to be giving, to do the right things. But when a government imposes their values onto the masses, then they're conducting the very thing that they claim to be against. They're forming a tyranny and an oppression because that same government who might be instilling positive values today can be used to oppress and instill negative values tomorrow. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran City app on the iOS App Store or go to QuranCityApp.com and see a word by word translation of the Quran. And if you like the podcast, please leave us a review and share it with others. And until next time, peace and God bless.